Welcome back to Tarot's Life and a very special guest today, uh, Steve Phillips. I started out by trying to track down the owner of Like a Wildfire. We see the name S&A Phillips and it led me to New Zealand. And once I started doing some research, I could have been there for 10 hours and still going. Steve, you've lived an interesting life in harness racing. Thanks for coming on and uh, how are you today? I'm fine, thanks, Toby, and uh, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be on. I I don't know where to start. Normally, I would just sort of work on like a wildfire in the family, but we might get to that. What what got you involved in harness racing initially? My, my mum and dad um, used to take my brother Dave and um, from when we were in early age, usually gallops, but once night trotting started at Alexandra Park, we used to go to all the meetings and just loved the atmosphere and loved kicking in past the men with white coats into the stables, yeah. um, which you weren't allowed to do, but we managed to do it quite regularly. Um, see all these famous drivers around and the famous horses. And so by the time I'd, um, I'd started um getting my accounting qualification and had a job, mm. I had enough money to get a share in a horse. So I was about 18, had my first share in a horse, and my involvement in harness racing just grew from there. So it grew to, what, in the 80s, you were you ran a stud farm, is that right? As Or worked as a stud master? Yep, that's right, yep. Yep, we'd, um, well, I'd, I'd finished my accounting qualification and, um, got married, and Anne was a secondary school teacher, and I was an accountant. And um, Anne's from the fa- from a family, the Grice family, that have been heavily involved in harness racing for her whole life. So we decided let's go and live in the country. So we bought a a farm, um, had a couple of kids, started sta- standing stallions, not especially successful ones, but. Um, my brother Dave started National Bloodstock, and from there we got involved with horses like Soakies Atom and New York Motoring, and um, you know they were they were pretty successful. Who who is New York Motoring's best horse? Do you reckon? Um, this is a question. Good question. Oh, look! If you yeah. can, listeners will know the answer. I'm searching here because my father owned who I would say was nearly New York Motoring's best horse. Yeah. Who was that? Barrel Boy. Okay. Barrel Boy. I, I remember the name. Oh, wow. He won the 1991 Queensland Derby in world record time, 156.7, which was really big at the time. And uh, he, yeah. wasn't, he wasn't a champion or anything. He was a very nice horse, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did, he did leave some nice horses, and he did well as a, as a broodmare sire as well. We ended up with a few... Mares by New York Motoring that um, we bred decent foals from. So, did you get out of the stud stud master sort of career? Did you in the end? Because it seems to stop. Yeah, well, we we ended up um, buying a bigger farm um, at a place called Wyal Par, and put a track down. And so, as well as at that time standing Soakies Atom, yeah. um, we ended up getting. Horses like Genghis Khan and um, a couple of other bits and pieces, but I also start, took out a trainer's license. So we started 
playing around training horses. Yeah. And um, and that and that that was fun. Like we never did it in a big way, but we educate some and then we'd send them off we had quite a few horses with um, Michelle Hackett and Bernie um, Hackett uh, and round, round a few other stables um, horses with Tony Herlihy you know, horses like Rare Gem, he won the Victorian Derby for when Tony was training him Yep. Um, horses with Gareth Dixon when he was training, we ended up having a few horses there and Ebony Gem won the Chariots of Fire with with Gareth, that was another horse we'd bred. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we we just enjoyed that lifestyle. And by then we had three kids and they took up a fair bit of time as well. Um, yeah, so it, it was it was sort of a, a hobby that turned into a job, if you like. Yeah, and, and a multifaceted job too, by the sounds of it. Oh. It was still a bit of everything. We, you know, we we prepared a few horses for the sales in those days, and um, yeah, yeah, and ended up taking a few along to sales, and they got any great prices, which put us off in the end. We just started keeping them and breaking them in, and getting them up and running, and doing something with them from there. So probably, probably one of the, yeah, one go. of the best horses that we took to the sales is actually Motoring Magic. Oh yeah, and um, fr- from memory. We sold him for about nine thousand dollars, which you know was probably just getting our money back from you know what it cost to prepare horses for the sales and service fees. And um, he was a New York motoring horse, and he he did a really good job in New Zealand too. So so he was um, Zenova, who yep. became the uh, Lay Girl Syndicate. That's right. Yep. I had the, I had yeah, a, well, it. Yeah. Anne was involved in, in lay girls initially, um, and they <laughs> they had some really nice horses. Jeff Small trained most of them in those days. Well, I had An- and, I had Angela Margerson on last week in a similar chat to what I'm doing with you now. Yep. <laughs> so yep. how's that? Yep, we know Ange, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small yep. world sometimes in harness racing. You're, you're, yeah, it sure is. You're on the board, HRNZ board, for 12 years. Tell us a bit about that. Um, yeah, well, I, I'd been um, I'd been friends with a couple of people that were on the board, and Ian Shaw was somebody who had been part of National Bloodstock for years, and he was getting off the board and suggested that I should get on, so I did. Um, it was... It was frustrating, um, but but enjoyable at the same time. Yeah. Like it's a job yeah. that is fraught with problems. Um, I'm sure anybody that has been on these harness racing boards that try to achieve positive stuff find it pretty difficult because there's always somebody who doesn't agree doesn't agree with what you're trying to achieve. Mm. Yeah, it's just a, a tough life. Yeah, I like that. It was enjoyable and frustrating, all in the one thing. I can, I you get that sense. Yeah. You do get that sense being on the boards. It's really hard to get things to achieve things because, you know, dollars and cents also come into play as well. You just can't. It's not a never never ending pie of money, and everyone wants you to spend it in their area. We need more money for breeding. We need more prize money. We need more of everything. We just can't do everything. Exactly right. And and in New Zealand, um, you're competing with. Um, thoroughbreds and and greyhounds, so it's just one big group of racing codes, 
and it's just one body that oversees it, being the New Zealand government, whereas at least in Australia you have your your state governments that seem to almost compete one against the other. And so yeah, yeah. We, we, we miss that in New Zealand um, because we're just competing with the thoroughbreds who have their own agendas and the greyhounds the same. Whereas in, in Australia it seems to me that, that if you know Victoria want to make progress with something, the Victorian state government may well help in some way and once mm-hmm. that's happening Queensland look at it and think oh we better do something as well and New South Wales say well, we better we better do something too we just miss that in New Zealand yeah yeah that's a great point um well, amateur driving races tell us about that it started in 2001 and uh they say you're the godfather of amateur driving yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um again we We'd seen amateur driving when we travelled overseas. Um, you know, we'd spend a fair bit of time, Anne and I, and the kids travelling through Europe and the States, and um, and we'd seen how popular amateur driving was in America, and and also in Europe. Like a lot of the amateur drivers over mm. there are very successful horse people, not only as amateur type drivers, but they train horses and they're on boards, and so we thought we should have something similar in New Zealand. So that was shortly after I got on the board of Harness Racing New Zealand. I pushed that through and got support from the board and got got support from various other sectors of the industry, and away we went. So what does that, and, um, yeah, what does that entail? And, and, well, it's um, it entailed, first off, um, running running workshops for people to learn to drive. Yeah. Um, because amateur drivers, in the main, were going to come from outside the industry, and for the first four or five years, that's exactly what happened. You know, people that, that had been going to the races and enjoying being part of harness racing suddenly had the opportunity to be hands-on, and um, we ran workshops every few months um, over over. It started being over three days, um, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and we had. Um, professional horsemen come along and act as tutors. Mm-hmm. Um, we sort of grabbed as many horses as we could from people around the Pukekohe area, used double sulkies to have if these guys go out with a professional driver and, and get a feel for what it was like. And by the end of the Monday, pretty much every time they were out driving by themselves and um, and in amongst other horses, and just loving it. That would make a great corporate team building uh, little three-day session as well, if that makes sense. Even if there isn't an amateur driving career at the end, I can imagine, you know, an accounting firm saying, what a great little eight-person corporate team building event we could do over a couple of days, if that if that makes sense. It does make sense because we did that a couple of times. Oh, there you go. Corporates come along, yeah, and 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 said that we've seen this happening at Alexandra Park because yeah. usually, usually, if they if they'd qualified as a as a learner amateur driver by the Monday, usually on the Friday at Alexandra Park, we'd put on a race. a a race for them, yeah. yeah. And so it, it was it was never serious, and you know they were out, and the main thing was to be safe, but. Um, yeah, so people saw that and thought, hey, we'd like to do that too. So a couple of people did actually have corporates come along and do one of those as an event. Worked well. 
Wow. But like, like, but like everything, Toby, um, after a while, running into brick walls. And so yeah. the regulations changed a little bit, and some of the horsemen thought, oi, we don't want amateurs taking our drives. <laughs> Stuff like this. Um, but we did progress you know, pretty quickly to suddenly having tote races, and um, a few of us ended up getting opportunities to drive overseas. Yep. Because because one of the things that the American amateur drivers do is they love travelling to other countries as amateur drivers and competing in competitions. Yep. So um, my first exploit overseas was going to drive in the World Amateur Driver Championships in Belgium, which was a bit of an eye-opener. Yep. Um, and the next year we, because at, at that I met some of the Americans, the next year we ended up travelling to the United States with a team of four amateur drivers to drive in, in competitions over there. And the following year we hosted four Americans to come down here and drive in a competition. And um, from that, a, quite a few amateur drivers ended up travelling over to America and driving and um, just enjoying the hospitality and friendship from fellow harness racing enthusiasts. That that's, was good. That's fundamentally, and people that listen to this show regularly have heard me belt on about this forever and a day. That's what's at the basis of harness racing. It's those relationships and friendships and the shared interest. Absolutely, yeah. And, and even 20 years later, we will still, um, we're still Facebook friends with a lot of the people that we met in those days. And yeah. we we. We don't chat to them regularly, but birthdays and special occasions, and if they, if they are involved in a big race win, stuff like that, you just keep in touch that way. In my pages and pages of notes here, uh, 2009 World Trotting Conference in Norway, you went across to one of those as well? Yep, yep, I did. Yeah, and that was, that was very enjoyable, meeting you know, a whole heap of harness racing participants. Um, I don't... <laughs> It's like a lot of those world events, though. I don't know that we achieved a heck of a lot. You know, like you, you look at you look at governments and and world bodies. They love the meetings, but yeah, not, not a lot comes out. Yeah. comes out of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it was it was a lot of procedure and you know ticking boxes and, and agreeing it. This would happen, that would happen, and like a lot of conferences, four years later, um, you're ticking the same boxes and yeah. agreeing that this should happen and that should happen, and so that was a frustrating part of it. But it was wonderful going to some of their race meetings and meeting you know, industry participants from around the world. All of this you've always done uh, walking, obviously, next to someone. And in 2008, eight nine, I think I, I, I note there was an Unsung Hero Award, which must have been a, a wonderful little uh, acknowledgement to a very special person right through this journey. Absolutely, yep, yep. Well, as I said, Anne came from a family that, that had been involved in harnessing all her life. And, um, and so she was always... A, a strong ally by my side, and I was doing the same for her. One of the things that she got involved with early on was kids' carts. Yep. And so she spent a lot of time with Denise Goldsworthy setting up kids' carts in the North Island and up down the South Island. It's all going really strong. 
as another lot of industry participants when they go to the business look at and think, well, my kids could do that. And so there are a lot of people, children, who come in who aren't part of harness racing, who you know want to participate in a holiday course. They're usually done during the school holidays over sort of three days, learning to drive a pony. It's pretty cool. I think um, I think one of the places we got um, kids' carts from was Australia. We it had been going before we started here. Yeah, so it's what we and call pony trucks. Cart, yeah, that's right. Yeah, from there Anne got involved in education. Yeah, so she's um, she's always been a strong advocate for the young people coming through um, into the industry need to have the opportunity to learn. And again, that's fraught with problems as well because it's not easy to get um, time off in a lot of stables. Like you've, you've got so, these young kids who, are, you know, working for a big a big stable, need to have a whole Monday off to go to a course. Um, you quickly found that they weren't always available every 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 Monday they were needed. So it was a battle, but she managed to keep going and. And um, it was quite rewarding to see the people who came through um, into the industry from kids' carts and that education sort of pro- procedure that Anne put in place. You know, you've got people like, like Josh Dickey, oh. Zach Butcher. Oh. Um, there, there, are, there are others. They, they're the two that come to mind who came through driving at kids' carts. And I know their, their families were involved, but... It's still... You know, they, yeah. So that was cool to see. So that there's a fair bit of the secondary teacher coming out in that as well. So there's the combined teaching and love for harness racing all in the one from Anne there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now let's talk yep. let's talk about like a wildfire, which is what I there was the only thing I knew about you yesterday and I feel like I, I, I know a little bit more now and we've got a great sense of everything you've given back to the sport. So all the successes you've had have been well and truly deserved. And I went right back. I found a mare in 1991, Dina Veneto, who uh, yep. produced a mare called Against the Wind. And you you had Dina Venuto, obviously, at one stage. Yeah, we had her for a couple of years, yep, and, um, and passed her on. At one stage, we were breeding from, I don't know, <laughs> probably 30 or 40 mares. Yeah. Um, when we were standing stallions, because it was easier to do it that way when you had the haunt, the stallion there and so but we've cut right back now but yeah Diana Veneto was one that was around then and against the wind she was a really nice race mare we ended up Jeff Small trained her we ended up having a trip to Australia if it was with her as well she was racing at um, that two year old series at Bathurst Breed, uh, Cranburn Breeders Crown she raced at the, in the Breeders Crown at Cranburn Breeders Crown yeah, well, yeah. I, think, I, don't know, I think at the time that, that she raced in it it wasn't at Cranbourne it was maybe maybe Bathurst it was, it was, it was some weird place anyway yeah yeah it was at Cranbourne she ran sixth in the heat and second in the in the consolation yeah and it was just one of those events a bit like like a wildfire in the end of the minions really where just nothing nothing went her way and that and like David Butcher drove her, he, he was furious with himself in the consolation that he didn't win it, but you know, that's racing. It's easy yeah. afterwards to look back and think, oh, I wish I'd done that. <laughs> you, you, she, but, yeah, she was a good mare. We raced, I think, here as a three-year-old as well, and then from her, and 
Um, I think her first foal from memory was Pass Them By. Uh, I think, not, yeah, maybe. Might uh, have that wrong. But he, he was a pretty good horse. His second foal, Don't Back Down by El Su, won four and was sold to Australia. And then Pass Them By was, yeah, the second foal. And, second uh, foal, okay. You had a lot of fun with him. He ran in two New Zealand Cups. Yep, yep, he did. Yeah, we'd um, we'd raced him um, from Michelle and Bernie's stable, and he got to the stage where we had a we had a big offer from the states for him, and we talked to a few people here, and there were enough people interested to sort of reach almost the price we'd been offered, and so we effectively syndicated and we kept a chunk of him. So he was racing for a whole group of people when he raced in the New Zealand Cups. Including T, and, um, in, including T Casey, is that the T Casey that bred and still races Spirit of St Louis? That's the man. Yep, Trevor. <laughs> Trevor. Yep. Okay. He came to Australia. Yep. He came to Australia and won a Cobram Cup. Yep, and then uh, and then I think after Australia we end up going to the states. Yeah, had a little stint back again in New Zealand, and then yeah, went off to the states, uh, passing by. He was a very nice horse. He ran six in a Cranbourne Cup. He won that Cobram Cup. The the Jim Phillips Memorial, who you wouldn't know, Jim, but he was he was a great man of harness racing up that way. And then he ran third in an SA Cup to Caribbean Blaster and and Smoking Up, and then he went home to New Zealand for a stint and went to USA. He was a very nice horse, passing by. Yep. So, so to keep people, the listeners, engaged, he was a brother to Like a Wildfire. So tell us about Like a Wildfire as a young horse. He was by Big Jim, and he had four starts, five starts as a two-year-old for a win in three seconds. Yeah, and he, he was always a lovely horse, lovely horse to do anything with, beautiful natured horse. And, uh, and again, we had a close association with Michelle and Bernie. He ended up over there. Um, and the main reason that we ended up sending him to Australia was because he quickly got to a level where he was running, you know, 158 mile rates three or four times in a row and running fourths or fifths. And yeah. we thought, this is, you know, this is not earning us any money. And um, so we had had met Gavin um, a couple of times and... Um, we decided that we'd give him a ring and see if he's interested in, in having like a wildfire over there, and he was, I'm, I'm in. So um, he went to Gavin, and um, I think he won his first four four races or four of his first five for, for Gavin. He won, um, he, and he won his first five sorry. in a row. Yeah, five in a row with Gavin. Five. Yeah, yeah. And so we um, we we enjoyed that. We never actually got to go over and watch him when he was with Gavin, but um, Gavin was just one of those people that rang you on on the way to the races, rang you on the way home, and was almost like like you were you were there. And um, so when Gavin passed, or before he passed, he recommended that we give the horse to um, Emma Stewart and Clayton Tonkin, um, and so that's why he ended up at at, at their stable. And um, Gavin's passing was was pretty pretty horrible. How, how t- um, I think he won his first start for Emma and Clayton um, wearing Gavin's colours. How, how tough was um, that phone call when Gavin rang you and said, "You know, I I can't train the horse. I'm too unwell, and he'll need to go to someone else." And I recommend Emma Stewart. That must have been a tough call. 
It was. It was. It was pretty horrible because we got to got to you know be close together, not not especially, but just constant phone calls and and we had met him early in earlier years, so it was pretty um pretty emotional. Yeah, you still are. And, 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 and that was the last time that we talked together. And from then on, we talked to his wife, who um, who organised the horse going. And um, yeah, but and even that night that he won his first race was pretty emotional. I think I think Emma and Clayton were pretty emotional, and um, you know, wearing Gavin's colours and just one of those. The whole the whole that, yeah. the whole industry was pretty emotional that night. Don't you yeah. worry about that. Yeah. Even yeah. I know you are now, and even yeah, I'm. Yeah, it's, he's he drove horses for my 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 late father and my mother, Gavin, and he was just one of those people. Who just he just everyone just loved him to bits, no matter what happened. You he know, was. yeah, yeah, he was a lovely person. <sighs> so, um, oh, yeah, goes to Emma Stewart. He, he has a good sort of twenty twenty wins four races and finishes twenty twenty winning an MO, and then. 2021, he won a Charlton Cup and raced at the highest level throughout. And 22, won a Tarang Cup. And on the weekend, he wins the Horsham Cup. There are other wins in a pure steel. He won an Easter Cup heat and second in the final. In Tassie, he's won an Italian Cup. He's won free-for-alls. He's just been such a good little horse, hasn't he? He has, yeah. yeah. We're, we're thrilled with the job that um, that Emma's done with him. Um, he's, a, he's a sort of horse that... That doesn't back up all that well, and um, that was the problem with the Inter Dominions in lots of ways. Like it's pretty hard to dismiss an Inter Dominion series when it's on your doorstep. Yeah, and um, and we actually flew over and spent a couple of weeks over Inter Dominion time, and he, he had no luck in any of the heats. Yeah, was was a very warm favourite in the in the consultation. and it was again one of those races. Anne and I are sitting in the, amongst the crowd watching this. And um, and there's a bit of pressure after a couple of hundred metres, and the horse inside him has a gallop, runs out, punctures his tyre, wheel co- tyre comes off the rim, and he's pulled up. Yeah. <laughs> and we sort of looked at each other and thought, oh, isn't that isn't that sort of a surprise? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> he just had that. Se- just he the, just, just had the that way series. that whole series had gone from you know. So, but as I said, he is better if he's fresh, and and that's. I think when he's when he's run his best races is when he's not um, racing week in week out. Yeah. Do you know what his next plan is, or do you? Or is that just Holly and Solly Emma that just runs and organises all that, and he, she just basically lets you know he's in here, he's in there. Pretty much that's it. And um, I, I think though that they will probably keep him for the various country. other country cups. I think there's a couple of others coming up over the next weeks or so. Yep, Char- uh, I would imagine that's... Charlton Cup on March 19, you might be able to go back and, and not defend your title. There's been a year in between, but to win another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I would imagine that would probably be on his agenda. You're not going, you're no chance of coming over anytime soon for a, for a country cup. They do a great day at Charlton. Yeah, well, we, um, we'll certainly think about it. You know, like we we had contemplated coming over even for the Horsham one and it just didn't quite work because we had a family birthday and um, so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't possible. But, yeah, if there was one that where it all worked out and we've got 
somebody that can look after our 10 acres and our couple of horses <laughs> and our few yeah. cows. Yeah. A trip to Australia sounds great. Yeah, well, you'll be most welcome. Just let tell Anne to let me know a messenger so I can uh, make sure I meet you as I'll be there on Charlton Cup Day. Now, one last thing before we go in 2017-18, there's an award called the Outstanding Contribution to Harness Racing presented by HRNZ, and, and it was presented to both yourself and to Anne, which was it's a really nice thing, a nice uh, way of recognising what you've done for the sport. Yeah, yeah, we were thrilled to um, to receive an award like that. Like we we were we were pleasantly surprised because we had gone to we were going to the um, awards dinner, hmm. um, and then suddenly we were told that we needed to sit at this particular table. We thought, oh, that's a bit weird, but anyway, we were sit at that table, and that was sort of part of the process and 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 receiving the award. So yeah, we were thrilled. It was really good. I, I know I said one last thing, but maybe I've just been thinking, an amateur driver race, Mick Guerin, Garrick Knight, myself, Adam Hamilton, we could have some real fun with a race like that. It sure would. <laughs> <laughs> and it get bloody competitive. <laughs> yeah, I, I know who'd be the hot favourite in his own eyes, and that'd be Mick. <laughs> Mick, Mick would nearly talk us out of it on the way around, I'd reckon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steve. But that, but that amateur driving has actually been pretty successful. Like There are still um, a couple of amateur driver tote races each month, um, yep. North and South Island. They struggle sometimes to fill the fields because especially up here where we're just short of horse numbers to mm. make a competitive night's racing anyway, let alone yeah. run an amateur race. So, yeah, it's um, it's a battle. But, yeah, the, the the people who participate are still keen. They're still around. And a lot of them have, um, have other jobs, so they're not actually in the industry itself. So they bring along friends and family to the races. And, yeah, it's, it's worth it's worth um, it's worth having. I think amateur driving. There, there was a story around a horse called Iron Hudge, wasn't there? That he couldn't win amateur races, and for it must have been a friend of yours. And then uh, he's come to Australia, and he went wank, win, 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 and ended up running fourth in a Miracle Mile, which uh, must bring back <laughs> memories this weekend. I can't remember the name of the the amateur driver though. Um, we had we had a, a, a friend called Phil Clabby. Yeah. So, so he used to drive some of our horses, and, the, and I'm not sure it was him on on Hudge, but the one that he did drive and managed to get beaten on was Destraos. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so, so we had we had Destraos at our place for quite a few years, and and he was he was such a nice horse to drive because you know he was pretty foolproof and and tried hard. So we put Phil on this day because he hadn't had a win, and we thought Phil drive to Strauss. So we still tease him to this day that he still manages to get beaten on a horse that ends up winning I don't know how many races in Queensland and hundred and one races he won, the Strauss. hundred and one races. So Phil couldn't get him home though in he won one in one in every well, four hundred and eighty six starts, hundred and one wins. So he won every one in every five in his whole career, which is an amazing <laughs> thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Steve, we yeah. could, I think we could go all day, but thanks so much for coming on. Been a pleasure to meet you and get to know uh, the name behind Like a Wildfire and so many other wonderful horses over the journey, both yourself and Anne. 
Thanks, Toby. Much appreciated. And I'll look forward, if we do make it, to being in touch and catching up. Yep, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. Next time you come to Australia, let me know. I'd love to meet you both. Okay. Thanks, Toby. There is Steve Phillips from all the way over the ditch in New Zealand. And what a wonderful person he has been to the sport of harness racing. Let's take a break. We'll come back the other side. More trots off then.